full steam ahead. With record amounts of capital raised in a rocky 2020 and a roaring start to 2021, it seems not even a pandemic could slow the momentum of private equity fundraising. But is there more behind the impressive headline figures? We look at who's emerged as the biggest winners and what to expect as the world returns to normal in this week's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. I'm Greg Gilles, the editor of Unquote, and I will once again have the pleasure of being your host today. We are back for another fundraising-focused episode this week. In one of our more recent podcasts, we delve specifically into the topic of how emerging managers have been coping with the challenges of the past year. This time, we're going to go a fair bit more macro and take stock of how the fundraising market in general has been faring in this new environment. To help me do this, I've got the privilege of welcoming our senior reporter, Alessia Argentieri, who happens to have recently written an in-depth piece looking at the latest fundraising trends in European private equity. Alessia, a pleasure to have you with us today. Hi, Greg. Thank you for having me. And we'll also have uh, an interview with Mark Versdorfer, head of UBS's private funds group, a little bit later in the pod. So I think the overarching takeaway of the fundraising market in recent months has been, what crisis? Uh, I mean, if we look at this year so far, Unquote tallied up 115 billion euros raised across 89 funds with a mandate to invest in Europe, and that's even excluding credit fund. Uh, For similar periods in 2019 and 2020, yes, we had a a few more funds closed, uh, but not as much capital overall. And if we look at what closed this year as well, we've got Argent Buyout 7, Apex 10, EQT 9, Silver Lake 6. Uh, with just these four funds, we're already on more than 55 billion euros in aggregate commitments. The heavy bifurcation in the market where a handful of large cap players act as a magnet for the majority of capital allocated to PE was clearly not corrected by the pandemic. Um, And that trend was already evident when looking at what happened in 2020, a year that many expected would be very tricky for fundraising, given the impact of lockdowns and and the general uncertainty in the market following the outbreak. Alessia, can you tell us a little bit more about how the market fared in 2020? Yes, absolutely. In 2020, we saw several mega fund closings that dominated the market The year started with Platinum Equity Capital Partners 5, which raised $10 billion, followed by Lexington Capital Partners 9, which closed on $14 billion. In June, then Ardian Secondary Fund 8 closed on $19 billion, and a month later, CVC Capital Partners 8 hit 21.3 billion euros, surpassing its target and becoming the largest European buyout fund ever raised. Other significant fund closes uh, included uh, also Nordic Capital 10, which collected 6.1 billion euros, exceeding its target of 5 billion euros. HG Genesis 9, which raised 4.4 billion euros. And IK9, which held a 2.85 billion euros final close, surpassing its target. But while these giants were able to maintain and further build their LP relationships and complete successful fundraises despite the pandemic uh, disruption, for smaller funds operating in regional markets, it was often much more challenging. In Italy, for example, which was badly affected by the pandemic, especially initially, several GPs had to postpone their final closings and sometimes reduce their target expectations. 
Same thing happened in Spain, where we saw numerous delays and postponements of first and final closings. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, I think I might have given the uh, the wrong impression at the beginning when I said, you know, it's, it's uh, what, what crisis. It's certainly, especially in the first few months, very, very tricky for a number of, uh, of managers out there, especially ones that didn't, you know, didn't start before the pandemic or, you know, where we already had some way to go. Um, and I think that that point you made about smaller funds in particular is, is actually quite apparent even in the stats. Uh, you can see even this year, I think, um, the, uh, the number of of funds within that sort of 100 million to 500 million bracket in terms of total commitments, uh, the, the volume is actually significantly down in, in, in terms of the number of funds. Um, and, and I think that was uh, that was obviously massively offset by, by the success of the big players, as you said, uh, but that's certainly worth bearing in mind. Um, but that said, uh, your, your piece it was actually a bit more nuanced around around what has performed well in the market in recent months. It is not just going to generate large cap buyouts. Uh, what have LPs been particularly keen on, and how the, how has the pandemic changed their, their appetite? Well, they've been particularly interested uh, in specialized uh, funds, uh, given that the pandemic has accelerated uh, the shift towards sector specialization that was already emerging across Europe. So LPs are looking for managers that are sector specialists, uh, able to understand the strategy and challenges of intensive investments in a selected number of sectors. And this trend has been particularly strong in the technology sector and the healthcare industry. But we also saw some food-dedicated funds uh, uh, performing very well during the pandemic, uh, attracting commitments from several LPs. One such example is uh, Idea Testo Vitali 2, an Italian fund dedicated to the food sector, which raised 330 million euros, surpassing its initial target, for example. Another strategy that has emerged as a winning trend of the pandemic, attracting, again, a lot of LPs' interest, is growth-focused investing. So smaller vehicles dedicated to minority investments through expansion deals and capital increases. LPs have become more and more interested in these growth funds that target profitable companies with strong revenue generation, high growth potential, investing capital that does not include any debt packages or leverage, and uh, with the aim of fueling the growth and expansion of a company, often in partnership with its management and possibly uh, other minority shareholders. And alongside some buyout and growth strategies, uh, um, despite a pause that there was in transaction, especially between quarter two and quarter three last year, the appetite for secondary vehicle has also continued to be very strong. Last year, uh, Ardian, that we already mentioned, closed the world's largest vehicle to date dedicated to the secondary market, Ardian Secondary Fund 8. Also, on a smaller but equally remarkable scale, Alpinvest Secondaries Program 7 closed on its hard cap of $9 billion, surpassing its target. And Dover Street 10, for example, held the final close on $8.1 billion. So we saw a lot of activity also in this segment of the market. Absolutely. And, uh, and just um, just two weeks ago, in fact, uh, LGT raising $6 billion uh, across two secondaries funds. Uh, we've seen other perhaps slightly smaller funds um, closing this year as well on the secondary side, but still uh, a lot of appetite there very clearly. Um, Thank you very much, Alessia, for, for this. As I mentioned earlier, you interviewed Mark Verstorfer from UBS when researching your piece. So we'll listen to that interview now and we'll be back to wrap up. Today, we have with us Mark Varsdofer, head of UBS Private Funds Group. Hi, Mark. 
Thank you for taking part in our podcast. Thank you for having me. The past 12 months have seen a number of trends accelerating and picking up steam across the market that has faced numerous challenges. Which are the most interesting trends that have emerged across the fundraising market during the pandemic? I'll probably highlight three main ones. Uh, I would say the first one is everything around digital. Uh, and what I mean by that is, if you think about how the world has evolved, there's been an increased focus in the way LPs and GPs communicate. We've talked about virtual fundraising, virtual AGMs, digital communication. All of that has been transforming the interaction between the LP and GP community, but not only the, between the GPs and their portfolio companies. Um, so, so that's definitely one part where uh, we've seen a major shift in the fundraising environment, but then it also impacts the way general partners are thinking about the digitalization of their portfolio companies or backing the digitalization uh, disruption that's happening. And that's not only in private equity, it's across infrastructure, healthcare, consumer, retail. So it's a trend that is really transforming the industry and ultimately having a major impact in terms of how fundraising is operating. Second, I would say ESG. You've had a positive trend towards an increased focus on ESG that has been growing over the years, but definitely the pandemic has accelerated all of that. So it's not only an increased focus on impact and sustainable investing, but it's also growing attention to the social elements of ESG across all strategies. LPs are demanding a lot more. It's not any more about just signing an ESG policy. It's not even about setting a, a trend. I think we're really seeing the next step, which is, is measurable expectations, either in terms of diversity or reduction in carbon emission. I think this is really where, where the industry is growing. And I think we've seen that accelerate through the pandemic. It is also encouraging to see that actually portfolio companies that have had a strong ESG framework are in today's market environment gaining premium valuation. So there's actually value and not just cost to the general partners. So I think this trend has accelerated, is central to kind of one of the, the main trends that has been dominating the, the market and is here to stay. And I think there's some positives to look at through the fundraising environment of the pandemic. What we've seen happening on the ESG front is, is definitely very encouraging. And probably last, uh, something I'd call the, the traffic lights. You know, I think uh, every sponsor has a traffic light slide. And what I mean by that is, is really how impacted are the portfolio companies in and how have they done through, through the pandemic? And clearly, it's not only showing a slide of, of greens of portfolio companies that have actually done well, that drives a solid fundraising. It's deeper than that. Is a green company on, on life support and is going to turn uh, yellow or red soon, or, or is it really on an upwards trend? So I think the, the focus of LPs on the underlying performance of the portfolio companies and the impact that COVID has had or is having on those companies has been a critical uh, theme and driver or potential break to fundraising. 
That's very interesting. Thank you, Mark. During the pandemic, we have seen a strong bifurcation between strategies able to survive and that are less successful, and even more between first-time funds and new managers, which have often struggled, and more established GPs, which have faced fewer challenges. Which funds have you seen encountering the greatest difficulties? There's been strategies which are much more challenged in an environment like this that don't benefit like others from the pandemic and therefore that has uh, created difficulties. More importantly, the challenges around first-time funds or smaller funds versus established funds, uh, newer funds versus older funds. I think the point which I think is, is more important is you know, what are the institutional qualities of the general partners? You know, if you think about my earlier points around digital or ESG, and we, we today seeing first-time funds in the market, raising capital, getting done, and that has a lot to do around the institutional qualities. You know, naturally, limited partners find it more challenging to commit to uh, newer relationships without meeting them in person. So presenting uh, those institutional qualities has a major impact. On the other end, if you don't have them, you're uh, still very immature in the development of your business, you will ultimately struggle as well through, through fundraising. So so yes, naturally, the very institutional and larger blue chip names have tended to benefit from the environment because it is much easier to underwrite a very institutional platform from a distance. It's much harder to underwrite a first-time fund, but I, I think we need to look through that. And it's, it's really the institutional qualities of that GP which have a major impact. Yes, that's a very good point. Um, I think it's also important to underline that during the pandemic, the scrutiny and careful selection of funds and strategies have become more essential for most LPs. Which criteria have been used by LPs to evaluate a GP's success and its resilience amid the pandemic? And how have LPs changed and decided their allocation? In terms of... Um... Evaluation, I think the, the first thing uh, LPs have done is, is take time to understand the impact. You know, it, it does require time to understand how portfolios are doing. And what I mean by that is LPs are increasingly focused on the underlying operational performance of the portfolio companies. And um, that is made even more difficult with GPs taking different approaches to valuations. You know, we, we've had a very strong public market environment. That means in many cases, comparables are substantially higher than they were a year ago. And so uh, a flat NME doesn't mean actually a flat operating performance. And so actually looking through NAVs is, is a critical exercise um, that uh, LPs are doing. They're putting a lot of effort in understanding how uh, the existing portfolios are doing, how the GP has uh, reacted uh, during uh, the pandemic to the challenges portfolio companies have um, faced. And clearly in the initial phase, it was all about preservation of liquidity uh, and then you know, proactive cost management. You know, I think today, you know, a lot is about growth and how do you actually 
reposition these companies, you accelerate your online presence, uh, you enhance your focus on digitalization, uh, to just take a, a few examples. So uh, that um, focus on um, the, the online por portfolio's performance is important. Um, as well, sourcing, you know, it's in a market where, where pricing is uh, high, uh, we've seen an uplift in uh, transaction pricing, being able to source um, good transactions um, and ultimately execute in, you know, in a, in a market environment where there's a lot of capital uh, is another area of focus. And, and lastly, and this has always been the case, you know, the, the quality of the team, stability of the team and um, focus of the team going forward uh, in uh, what could be potentially a volatile uh, historical performance of certain funds is, is, is key. In terms of your question, in terms of uh, allocation, allocation decisions, um, I think there's, there's a few parts. There's clearly at the initial phases of the crisis, uh, a lot of institutions were concerned about liquidity. And so we've seen a lot of institutions freeze. Uh, but with the recovery and strong recovery of public markets, continued low interest rates, very quickly allocations have uh, remained and are remain very strong. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, if you would take the, um, the pension fund market as a proxy for available capital, the, the pension fund market is uh, better funded than ever before. And then if you think about asset allocation, you know, in a low interest rate environment, uh, equity and private equity strategies will be favored. Um, and so certain parts of uh, the private equity market will uh, benefit more than others. Uh, clearly, the traditional buyout um, and uh, infrastructure to a certain extent have uh, clearly benefited in the short term. Um, Real estate is much more mixed. Certain parts of real estate have done extremely well. Others have been more challenged. But overall, uh, we see a strong risk appetite from institutional investors and, and therefore allocations uh, to the asset class to be maintained to historical levels and potentially increased as long as we remain in a, a low interest rate environment. Well, that's very interesting. And let's take a look now at what has been a very hot segment of the fundraising market in recent years, secondaries. How has this strategy performed during the pandemic? Clearly, uh, the secondary market hit a pause very quickly in, in, in Q1 2020 on the back of public market volatility and uh, surge of uh, COVID-19. That led to a sharp decrease in transaction volume in 2020. But the market picked up. The market picked up in, in the second half of 2020. And I think we ended up the year you know, down just shy of 30%, depending on the data you look at. But there was about 62 billion of transaction volume down from 86. So you know, there's definitely been an impact 
in a volatile environment, you know, it's just extremely hard to transact and for, for buyers and sellers to, to find a price at which they will agree a transaction. You know, talking about pricing, just looking at some of our data, the average discount paid for buyout fund at the end of 2020 was just shy of 9% discount that compared to five and a half a year earlier. So, so overall, the, the discount levels for buyout funds was higher, but that was you know, up quite a bit from the nearly 20% discount we were seeing uh, in Q2 2020. So you know, as a result, some very smart uh, secondary buyers have benefited in terms of their timing of buy. Uh, and uh, we've since seen a, a good recovery of, of that market. Um, we very much see this market as a seller's market Fundraising volume for secondary funds has slowed as well in 2020, but there's still today over 100 billion of dry powder uh, that is there to buy portfolios. And, and even probably more so than ever before, the market has been dominated by large GP-led single or multi-asset continuation funds that have been consuming a lot of the dry powder and therefore the traditional LP portfolios are generating a, a lot of interest and we are actively uh, in the market with a number of portfolios and, and seeing strong demand uh, in the current market environment and we expect that market to to carry on to to increase and, and ultimately catch up some of the lost uh, volume we saw in 2020. Let's now look at the coming months. In addition to this intense activity in the secondary segment, what is your outlook for the European fundraising market? In one word, strong. Um, you know, I think if you think about my point earlier around um, the availability of capital, if you take uh, the institutional investor market globally, um, we, we see uh, a solid uh, demand uh, on their side for uh, the alternative asset class and, and private equity infrastructure in particular. Um, and then if you think about uh, the consumers of capital, the general partners, that market is only accelerating. Um, private equity deal activity is up. Um, you know, I think data shows we up over 25% versus same period last year. Uh, you would expect that given given uh, what we were going through last year, but you know definitely an uplift. You you have an IPO market that is at record levels for over a de decade, um, and as a result, funds will come back to market sooner with larger ambitions, and so you know there will be um, uh, requiring capital from uh, the institutional investors who are hungry to deploy it in this environment. Uh, there's obviously different areas which are benefiting more or less of this environment. I think clearly uh, looking backwards, certain areas around uh, technology, software in particular have benefited. Uh, healthcare as well. Uh, we've been quite active in the healthcare space for, for the last few months and are, are seeing uh, demand across the spectrum. And it's anything from the gross health tech and to the bio space or uh, the, the more um, uh, real asset side of, of the equation. 
uh, similar with uh, digitalization of digital infrastructure. So there are certain pockets which are uh, benefiting more from the current environment. Uh, but overall, uh, we expect um, you know, a, a, a very solid uh, fundraising uh, market environment uh, for, for the coming months uh, ahead. And I, I expect you know, 2021 to um, definitely um, end up substantially higher than, than we saw 2020. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Mark, for taking part in our podcast. That was really interesting perspective from Mark there. His point around how the crazy events of last year have really accelerated the ESG implementation is one that is well worth bearing in mind. Um, and it's also important to note, as it, as it did, that the bifurcation we've seen in the past year is as much a flight to institutionalization, uh, so to speak, as it is a, an overwhelming appetite for large cap buyouts. Uh, neither of these trends is, is new per se, but like a lot of underlying shifts in PE, they've been clearly turbocharged by, by what happened last year and by the pandemic. Uh, Mark was also very optimistic about the prospects for, for PE fundraising in the coming month. Uh, Alessia, does that tie in with the mood of other market players you've spoken to? And, and can you talk us through what's in the fundraising pipeline that we should keep an eye on? Yes, most market players uh, seem very confident in an acceleration of activity across the fundraising market in the coming months. Several large funds are expected to close in the next quarters, uh, including a BC European Capital 11, which has an £8.5 billion target, HIG Middle Market 1 with a €2 billion Euros target, and also MB Renaissance Partners 3rd, which has raised £950 million so far and expects to close by the summer of 2021. Other established uh, GPs are also preparing the launch of their new vehicles, uh, including Investcorp, which plans to launch its second European buyout fund after the summer, uh, aiming for uh, 1 to 1.5 billion uh, euros. And Permira, which has registered its second uh, growth opportunities fund with a target of 2.5 billion dollars. In addition to these large funds, also smaller vehicles and lower mid-market GPs are expected to attract more capital in the post-COVID landscape, especially because many LPs that last year focused exclusively or almost exclusively on large funds and established GPs now have realized that a strategy only dedicated to large caps is not sufficient and that they also need some smaller funds able to invest in the lower end of the market and to reach a more balanced and profitable allocation. Yeah, and uh, and talking about that, talking about diversification and and smaller opportunities in, in terms of ticket sizes, that is, uh, we've talked about buyout, we've talked about secondaries. Um, what about venture? The fundraising figures for, for that strategy seem to have been pretty strong last year, weren't they? Yes, absolutely. The venture capital market has been doing very well. The pandemic has shown to everyone the importance of development and innovation across the digital software, like science, biotech, and LPs have been paying more and more attention to funds and strategies dedicated to venture capital. Last year, we saw several large closings in the venture capital landscape, including Tiger Global, which raised $3.75 billion for its 12th VC fund, and KKR Next Generation Technology Growth Fund second, which held a final close on $2.2 billion. And this year, activity has also been very strong and intense. 
Among others, we saw Bain Capital Ventures recently raising $1.3 billion and Digital Alpha Fund second closing on its $1 billion RCAP. While Life Sciences dedicated Sofinova Crossover Fund closed on $445 million and Abingworth Bioventures 8 closed on its $465 million RCAP. And for the coming months, according to market experts, activity will continue to flourish and capital will pour in even more into the venture capital sector. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, plenty to keep an eye on in the coming weeks and certainly a lot of optimism out there in the market when it comes to the, the prospects for, for PE fundraising. Uh, obviously, challenges abound as well for emerging managers, for smaller funds, uh, topics that we've either covered quite a lot in the past that we come back to, but in terms of the overall picture... Uh, and especially in terms of the amount of capital that is likely to add to the already, I mean, crazy amounts that have been raised in, in recent years, uh, it certainly is full steam ahead. I think we may already be running into overtime, Alessia, so we'll call it a day here. Thanks again for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. And as ever, thank you all so much for tuning in. We have much, much more stats, intel and insight around the current fundraising pipeline on Uncode.com and Uncode Data. And in fact, we are currently compiling all this recent content into a special fundraising report. So do look out for that. In the meantime, if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. See you on the next one.